every story we look at, right? We've gone through uh, Deborah, Barak, uh, Eglon, Ehud. Uh, Eglon was Ehud anyway. Uh, Othniel. All of these uh, Hebrew judges come up, and it's going to have the same pattern. Israel sins. They fall into uh, oppression. They have some form of repentance. Or last week we talked about regrets and how God's calling them not just to regret, but actually to repent. Regret's all about me. Here's my problem. My life stings. I'm so sad that I made a mistake and now bad things are hard for me. God doesn't want your regret. God wants your repentance to look to him, to recognize you've broken relationship with him and that only he can resolve that. So we repent. We change our minds. We change our actions through being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So God calls them to repentance, raises a judge, a deliverer to deliver them. They have some peace at some time and then they fall right back into sin, worshiping idols. We've seen that over and over in Judges, I think it was Judges 3-7, it's kind of a theme verse for Judges, um, that, that uh, they, they do two things wrong. They do evil in the sight of the Lord. What are those two things? You remember? They worship idols and they forget God over and over and over. And that's the theme for humanity. We'll find out. That's all of us, man. We forget God and we worship idols. And, and last week you heard me say this. I was talking to Mr. Wade about that this morning. Uh, you know he's older than me because I called him Mr. Wade. And uh, um, I, I, I don't want this to sound negative, but I just feel like we need to acknowledge, like, it's okay that we're saying the same thing every Sunday we gather. It's okay that every Sunday we're preaching the gospel. It's okay that every Sunday, uh, that once a month we're doing the, uh, the Lord's Supper and that we're saying the same thing. It's okay that we sing songs that say the same thing because our proclivity is to forget. Monday at 6.30 or 7 or whenever your alarm rolls off, it, it goes off and you roll out of bed and you do your thing and Monday turns into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and before you know it, you've forgotten God and you've worshiped and sought things that aren't God. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. We're going to talk about our time. But it just feels like especially when we talk about judges. Every week, you're going to see this image. Every week, you're going to hear me say, they forgot God and they worshiped idols because this is humanity. This is our struggle. And so we want to talk about it every week and wrestle with it. Um, this week, we're going to get at it um, through looking at, uh, honestly, we're going to be at the first two verses in Judges uh, 7, 1, and 2, and then we'll talk about the rest of them in our life group classes. Um, before we get there, I want to talk about being an artist. Uh, who here knows the, uh, the Marvel character? Is it Marvel? Marvel character Spawn? Spawn, anyone? Is it Marvel? Uh, okay, so anyway. So here's a picture of Spawn. Yeah! Does this ring a bell for anyone? No, everyone's like, no, this is one of your lame, lame comic book things. Here's what happened. I was in fifth grade. Some of you were in fifth grade once, okay? Some of you might still be in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade, and Matt Coleman, or maybe his dad, I forget because I'm old and I forget things nowadays, but uh, they, one of them was a good artist. And you reach a point in school where you realize the skills that you don't have. Like, there's, there's times when you draw literally anything. You sneeze on paper, and your teacher's like, very good, Davey. Your mom will be so proud. Take it home to mom. And you reach a point in art class where they're like, ugh, don't... You know, do you want to take that home? Like they, they want to, the teacher wants to subtly let you know, this isn't your thing, dude. Like stick to making people laugh. That's, that's you, Davey. You're not an artist. And so I was kind of going through that existential crisis that maybe I'm not good with a pencil and colored pencils in hand and drawing things. I was horrible. I was really bad at it. I drew a picture of a Butterfinger, though, that my mom still has hanging in our attic. I don't know why it's hanging in our attic. That's actually offensive, and I say it out loud. But anyway, it's hanging in our attic where no one can see it. And I think it looks awesome to this. That's the point. So Matt Coleman or his dad drew this really awesome picture of Spawn. Not this one, but it was very, very similar. They drew it by hand, and they colored it, and it looked just so perfect. And so I had it, and I took it home. And on my way home, I realized, you know what? I could tell my, I could tell my dad 
that I drew this. And I could tell my friends that I drew, has any of you been there? Shake your head. You pretend to do something you didn't actually do. No, just me. Worst person in the room. Good. Normal Sunday. David's the worst. Classic. So I go home and I'm just like, dad, I drew this. And my dad was so great. He was like, well, bud, I've, I've never seen you draw anything like this before. Oh, I'm spawned, dad. Like a well, how'd you draw? Well, you know, I was just sitting down. I had colored pencils. Where'd you get the colored pencils? I school and stuff. I just, just drew it. And my parents kind of let me live in this life for a few days. And there's another point where I had another picture that I pretend to draw. But my dad, at one point, was like, hey, dad, why don't, why don't you draw me something like that? Okay. Yeah. And so I tried to trace it, and it just it didn't work. I was like, I don't, I don't know, Dad. I'm just not feeling it right now. Like, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it now, right? There was this attitude where I wanted to take the identity of being an artist, a, a creator of awesome things, and I wanted to own it. Although the truth is I'm weak. I'm bad at drawing. I'm terrible at colored pencils. That's not my thing. My kids are really great at it. Watching some of my kids just get better and better at this, it's really neat. I'm terrible at it. And at some point, you know, you might realize that your kids are better at things than you, and you have to just be like, okay. God created you to be better than me at this, at this. And that's all there is, you know, and that's kind of the situation. Is I, I'm bad at this. But I, I vividly remember trying so hard to convince everyone, I'm a really good artist. But then when all of it hit the fan, it's like, you know what? I'm terrible at this. I can't draw spawn. I can hardly draw stick figures because they're disproportionate. And they're so, I mean, you guys see some of the graphics I come up with on here, right? All the ones that clearly Adam and Titian didn't make, the, the ones that look bad, those are me, right? I didn't make the one that was up here uh, with the spirals. I said, I don't do that. I struggle with that. So that was a struggle. I, I was twisting, I was adulterating a skill that I didn't have. Uh, that kind of brings us to Romans 125 before we get into Judges 7. Romans 125, they, referring to humanity, exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worship and serve what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is the whole issue that we see over and over in Judges. They took what God had given them, His truth, and they twist it for a lie, that we're actually in control. We can do what we want. And then they lived in that lie. They worshiped and served the created things instead of the creator. With that in mind, we're going to get into Judges uh, chapter 7. Quick background. So an angel, the angel of the Lord, appears before Gideon in chapter 6 and says, Hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, Yeah, not me. I'm kind of hiding. That's not, I'm not the mighty warrior. Who are you? And we talked about how weird it was that Gideon had no idea who the angel of the Lord was until, you know, the fire and rock situation happened. He was like, Whoa. Now, now this is a real deal. And we talked about how weird it was that Gideon, who had all these idols to worship, including he knew Israel's story, he didn't acknowledge the angel of the Lord. And, and you know, if you didn't hear that last week, you can go back and listen to it. But just in general, the point is, how does that happen in our own lives? How do we mix idols? And we're mixing a little bit of Christianity with a little bit of I, I want all about me and a little bit of I want to be all about this sports ball thing. And I want to be a little bit all about these things. And then we mix all these things. Then we wouldn't know the Lord if he smacked us in the face or if he appeared right in front of us because we're mixing these things. And therefore, we don't even know the Lord. We know the Lord that we've created, which isn't any Lord at all. And so Gideon has this big confusion. But the angel, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord graciously, you know, uh, lets him prepare a meal for him, engulfs it in fire. And then uh, God does this weird fleece thing where Gideon comes out and he says, hey, you know, let this be wet and this be dry. Okay, let this be dry and this be. And God graciously does that. He gives him these signs. Um, we talked about how that's not, you know, uh, uh, prescriptive for you. Please don't go out and say, God, if it's your will, let the Starbucks line be empty today, and then I'll praise you. Or, God, if it's your will, let me shoot a 12-point buck when I hunt next morning. That must mean that you love me. That's, not, that's clearly not in Scripture. Jesus has some things to say about that when Satan tempts him in that way. Um, but God graciously does this to Gideon, and so we see that example. Now we're in Judges chapter 7. 
Uh, here's, oh, Gideon then, he tears down all the altars, right? He tears down the altars to Asheroth, Baal, and tears them down and builds altars to the Lord. Judges 7.1. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. I think it's interesting, just as we start this story, we want to remember he's called Jerubbabel. And in fact, it's very rare uh, in the story of Gideon that he's called that. It's only a couple times. People call him Jerubbabel, which means he contends with Baal, right? He contends with him. He's the one that tore down the altar. And so if Baal's upset about it, Baal can come and mess with him. That's all on him. So Gideon is the one that takes on the idols, the false gods head to head. And again, let me pull your mind out of the Western bubble that we get confused about. We're not talking about the big dumb idiots out east who just worship rocks and stones and wood. Those big sillies. We're so woke and above that. That's what we're talking about. There was actual power given to these things. The word Eliohim in the Bible, the word for God is used for both God the Father, and lesser spiritual beings. And so don't be so arrogant to assume that just because you don't have some little shrine in your house or that you know someone who does have a little shrine in their house is some God, that there's no power there. There is certainly power there. It's power to corrupt. It's power to bring sin, death, chaos, disorder, all sorts of problems. And so we don't need to be so arrogant to assume that these people are like, oh, they were just worshiping rocks and the real God showed up. There was something going on here. There was some reason for them to be distracted. There are real spiritual forces out there. Paul goes as far to tell us that our battle is against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, spiritual forces. There's things going on beyond what you can see. You are much smaller than you realize. The world has much more danger in it than you realize. You have much less control. And these stories keep reminding us of that. And so when, when uh, Gideon is concerned about taking on the isles and they call him Jerubbabel, there's this r- reminder here that the actual fight has nothing to do with Midian. The actual battle has to do with false gods, with forgetting God and worshiping lesser things. And so the narrator, the guy who writes this, he starts by saying, hey, Jerubbabel, you remember that guy? He's the one that contends with the false idols. He's the one that now is going to go deal with Midian. Why? Because the real battle is with idols. The real battle in your life isn't your health concerns. The real battle in your life isn't all the people who are mean to you at work. The real battle in your life isn't how hard and rough things have been with your bank account. Almost always, and Jesus told us this when the Sermon on the Mount, the real battle is your heart. The real battle is the corruption that happens inside because of our rebellion, because we say we are God, we're in charge. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Judges uh, 7 verse 2, this is where we're going to camp. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many, 32,000 folks, that's what he's saying. The 32,000 folks with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, right, so boast over me. We think we're above God. We're going to boast above God. Boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. My own hand has saved me. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creator thing, the creator instead of uh, the created things over the creator. The Lord knows that we have a heart issue. The Lord knows going into this, hey, if 32,000 people, if they go and just mow over Midian, you know what's going to happen? They're going to talk about how awesome Israel is. They're going to talk about how great they are. They're going to forget me again. They're going to worship idols again. God knows the posture of the human heart. 
And so he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it to where this big, weak, ridiculous thing happens so you can only point and look to the Lord. And if you know the story, uh, we're going to talk more about it in life groups, but he goes through and he has this winnowing process where he says, hey, all y'all who are afraid, you can just go home. And that narrows it down to a very few people. And then he does this really weird thing where it's like, hey, go to the water and drink. And if you drink this way, you have to go home. And if you drink this way, then you get to stay here. And people just, side note, Bible nerd stuff, put on your Bible nerd glasses. Well, there we go. Um, the big deal is that everyone wants to talk about why these people who lapped like a dog and these people who didn't were chosen. Oh, maybe these people have some more awareness or maybe these people, because they had their sword and so they're able to hold their sword while they're just, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. Okay. So if you just want my advice, let the Bible speak for itself. And what's interesting here is not uh, specifically why God does things because we don't know. We have limit of knowledge and we have limit of language. We talk about that a lot. Say, I have a limit of language. I have a limit of knowledge. Some of you are very hurt that I had you admit that. I'm sorry that you're limited. It's the whole point. We are weak, right? And so we have this limitation. So sometimes we try to insert things into the text so we feel comfortable when we answer the wise. And, and it's cool and it's cute and it's interesting. And those things are helpful sometimes. But also it's important to know God is God. And he does things that we submit to. And this whole story, the point isn't how super interesting and wise and cool Gideon is. And it's not even how super intricate we can work out why God does things. Does The point is that God is the one who saves. That God is the one who's Lord. And so we look to him. And so, spoiler alert, God narrows it down to 300 people and they overtake the Midianites. And it's a really interesting story. You guys can read the narrative later. I want to focus specifically on God's concern that Israel will boast over him. And they'll say, my own hands have saved me. What are we to make of this? It seems like God cares very deeply about our hearts. God cares very deeply about how we process things, how we see the world. This is why Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We need a change of mind. God cares about your heart. God cares about how we process things. He's not okay with us worshiping ourselves, our own accomplishments. In fact, in general, we forget the Lord. That's what scripture tells us over and over. We pursue lies, we corrupt things, we twist things. We bring sin, corruption, death, brokenness, chaos into the world through our rebellion. And even those of us who are the best in this room, we acknowledge that we still struggle to forget God. More on that here in a minute when we talk about our time and energy. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. When we exchange truth for a lie, we claim ourselves to be in control. We live as things are for our own glory. This is the heart of idolatry. And I know we talk about idolatry every week now, but we have to because this is the issue, right? We prop other things up. We make other things bigger. It's the key to our struggle. In fact, we even see this from the very beginning. Uh, often you hear me casually point to Genesis 3 and say, it's just like Genesis 3. We're going to read it this Sunday because I think it's important for us to constantly come back to this. God created the world and he said it was good. He created these things. And he said these blades are good and the flowers are good and the sky and everything. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then he created us and he said what? Very good. We're special. We are created in his image and that image is to create good things. But it, interestingly enough, we tend to criticize and poo-poo on things and tear them down and dismantle them and insert chaos and disorder, whereas God brings order and unity, right? And we talk about this as a church, right? Look around. When you see relationships that are full of brokenness, disorder, disunity, chaos, it's your job to step into that in the name of Jesus Christ and bring unity through Jesus Christ. Not because you're awesome. We'll find out how weak you are, how weak I am. We bring unity through Jesus, so God created this world and it was un unified and beautiful and perfect. He created us and said, we're very good. And he said, hey, obey me. 
You can have all these things. I've given it to you. I've generously given it to you. But obey me. Don't eat from the tree. And then we have Genesis 3. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat or touch it or you will die. Nah, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the created things, worshiping themselves. I can be like God, and I want to preach that every Sunday. Because if you're anything like me, if you struggle with the human condition, every problem in your life comes back to the fact that you want to be like God. Every problem that you experience with, with marriage, maybe you point to other people say, it's actually not me, it's my husband. It's actually not me, it's my kids. It's actually not me, it's my boss at work. That's fine. I want to be like God. And so that's our struggle. We want to be like God. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We struggle to corrupt things, and we want to boast over the Lord. And that's what God said. He was so concerned about it. He specifically said, hey, if I hand them over the midnights, 32,000 people, they'll boast over me. They'll say, hey, I'm above you. They'll boast above me. They will look at themselves. They'll say, my own hands have saved me. So God weakens them. He brings them down to weak posture. God knows Israel will claim their own hands have saved them. God shows us his power in our weakness. I've been really moved the last several weeks uh, through some counseling, some other things in my life. I've been really thinking through uh, this idea of weakness because none of us like to be, raise your hand if you like to be weak. Oh, my hero, save me. Now, come on, you don't, you still, he saves you, you decide you're weak, and then he's your champion. It's still about you. So none of us like to be weak, right? Uh, why do you kick your feet up when you do this? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that's what girls do probably. I think I've ever seen a girl do that. Whatever. Thanks, cartoons. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul's talking about this thorn in his flesh. He has this great revelation from God, this thing that he should be boastful over and like, look at me. I've seen these things. I'm going to tell you the things of God. And there's this whole layer of Gnosticism and all this stuff that we can throw in there, but just forget all that for a minute. As he struggles with this thorn in his flesh, and he realizes, man, I'm, I'm really weak. I'm struggling here. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. Just like we don't know why God narrows down people lapping water or why God does the Gideon fleece thing. We don't know. But when Paul talks to Jesus about it, we see this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When Israel was weak and God rescued them, they could only point to God and His glory. Because it was then about God. It wasn't about Israel. It was about who God was. Are you comfortable with your weakness? Is that, are we, as a church, comfortable with our weakness? Our church could tell stories. Uh, remember the days when we had, and now we 
Remember when we did, and we did, we'd tell stories, how awesome we were, how bad things used to be individually. You could tell, man, remember that time I went to Promise Keepers? Remember that time I went to youth group? Remember that time I had youth camp and I was on fire? Remember when I was awesome? Remember when we were awesome? Exchange the truth of God for a lie. We spin things to be about us, to be about me. And then we're, never ch- we're ever chasing this thing that we can't catch because we've twisted God into something that is about us, has nothing to do with him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Are you comfortable with your weakness before the Lord? Are you still trying to to lie to your dad that you drew it, that I did it? God, I did this. This is all about me. Look what I've done. I've been a good steward. I deserve these blessings from the Lord. It still comes back to me. We talk about that orbit thing. Uh, we can throw the slides up here all the time, but we have this selfish orbit where you put yourself in the center and things ultimately lead to rebellion and corruption because we make it about us. Because God knows we're going to twist things. And I never get tired of talking about this because I struggle with it every week. So I only assume someone else in this room struggles with it. And we see in Scripture, all through Scripture, as early as Genesis 3, three chapters in, immediately struggles with it, and then it just ripples over and over and over and over. Exchange the truth of God. Are you trying to exchange the truth of God, His control, His glory in your life, for the lie that you're in control? It's all about me. It's all about my glory. We need to be reminded of our weakness. Some, someone here today needs to be reminded that, that you're weak, that before a holy God, you need to repent. You're broken, and you continue to struggle, and it's Him who's strong. It's not you. But we also need to be reminded that He doesn't leave us that way. In fact, everything is done for God's glory and our joy. And it's so important to recognize that our joy part because we tend to then sometimes get this negative attitude like, oh, it's all for God's glory, so I might as well just go sit in the corner and cry and sip stale lemonade and just be really sad and don't put any sweetener in it because it just needs to be bitter lemon juice that I'm drinking and just, oh, poor me, I'm suffering for the Lord. God created you for His glory and your joy. What's the first thing that God did when He created us? He gave us everything He created He generously gave it to you for you to enjoy, for you to take care of, for you to reign with Him. And we said, no, we don't want to reign with you. We want to push you aside. We want to forget you. We want to do our own thing. And so God created you for His glory and your joy. And you are most joyful in life when He is most glorified. Say it again, because you're going to forget it. I'm going to forget it. You are most joyful in life when He is most glorified, because that's what you were created for. Your job sucks because it's about you and not the Lord. Your family members stink and you struggle with them because it's about you and not the Lord. Your parenting is a wash and you can't stand it because it's about you and not the Lord. You want to see these things turn around? Please look to Jesus. Acknowledge your weakness. God doesn't leave us in that. I'm going to just shotgun some verses at you that talk about boasting in the Lord. This is the gospel. And I hope that it inspires you to think about your weakness this morning. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For why we were still helpless, you are helpless. I am helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare die. But God proves his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Because Jesus is alive. He's not still dead. He's alive. Be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Jesus is the only one who reconciles. We are weak, we are broken, and only Jesus can make it right. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, like conquering a huge army with 300 men who lap like a dog. What are you doing, God? What a foolish thing. God has chosen the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in His presence. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What's awesome in your life? What's worth, when, when people come up to you and say, so what are you all about? What's, what makes you, what do you do? That's a big American question, right? You meet someone, where are you from? What's your name? What do you do? What do you do, dog? What's, what's your name is? Like, what do you know, like, what about you? What do you do? What sort of things you're like, well, I am actually, here's what makes, man, we, uh, we talk about this, where's the chalk? Here it comes. We talk about this equation, this is free. It's not even in the notes, right? We have this like classic idea of significance and it says, what you do, you do, right? So pick a person, Amanda, Jerry, Megan, Tina, only women apparently, Uh, Doc. Do we have anyone named Doc in here? Where's the people who sit here? No, Adam. Anyway, what you do plus what people say equals your value, right? This is it. This is the standard for your life. And this is what we do. Say, hey, what about you? What do you do? What's value about you? Oh, let me tell you about how recently this happened. Let me tell you about this thing. Hey, I almost shot a deer, but I didn't. Let me tell you how funny I am. Ha ha ha. I'm a big idiot who misses deer. Don't make fun of me. You've made mistakes too. And so this is the issue. Like what you do plus what people say about you do equals your value. And that's all our lives. That's what everyone around you is struggling with. This is why people are hurt. why people are broken. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. The lie is that it's all about you. The lie is that it's all about David. The lie is that it it matters, that I say the perfect things up here, and I'm the perfect pastor, I do all the right things. The truth is that Jesus is Lord, and that he shepherds our church, and that only through him can we boast, because I can't save you. Miss Carrie can't save you. None None of these sermons can save you. Only King Jesus can save you. None of us can save your marriage. None of us can save your grandchildren. None of us can save your cousin who's in the hospital. We look to the Lord. Ephesians 1, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler, the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in disobedience. You too all previously lived among them in your fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of your flesh, the thoughts, and you were by nature children of wrath. That's a fancy way of saying you did your own rebellion. You do you. YOLO. It's all about you. And you are an object of wrath. Before a holy God, you rebelled against him and you were separated. And when God looked at you, he saw an object of wrath. Someone separated from him. 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not from works so that anyone can boast because we don't boast in ourselves. So what God was so concerned about, what did he say? He said, lest they boast above me, over me. They think they have anything over me. They say, we saved ourselves by our own hands. You can't save yourself. You can't, you can't do anything, actually. You're pretty weak. I'm pretty weak. And God doesn't leave us that way. God shows up and says, I am strong in your weakness. And in fact, you can boast in your weakness because then you are strong through me. That's why the word tells us we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon us. Because when we believe, then the Holy Spirit enters us. And then we have power through Christ. We can interpret scripture. We can, we can speak truth and love. We can do things that seem counterintuitive to us, like follow Christ and have love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control come out of us. Gentleness, miss that one. Have these things. Jesus took on our sin, evil, death, shame, corruption, and rebellion so that through him, all of us could be seen as righteous. And some of you might say, man, I've heard that a million times. We talk about the gospel every week. And we're going to talk about it every week, because we forget it every week. And the implications are limitless. That's why Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is hand, repent and believe the gospel. That's why we talk about the cycle of repenting and believing in the gospel over and over and over. Because there are parts of your life that maybe still aren't repented. There are parts of your life that still don't believe in the gospel. If we really believed in the gospel, we wouldn't be exchanging the truth of God for the lie that we're actually in control, that it's about us. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. There's so much freedom in breathing deep and realizing it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And I get to have the joy of glorifying him and serving him and be who he created me to be. But it's not about David. It's not about being a Newton. It's not about being a Memorialite. It's not about being a Jeff Sidian or a Missourian or an American. It's about King Jesus. So much peace in that. So much freedom in that. Do you know him in this way? Have you given your, your faith to him? Have you given him your life? The Lord said to Gideon, the people are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand because they'll boast over me and they'll say, my own hands have saved me. This is why we repeat, teach every week, repent and believe in the gospel. Everything is for his kingdom. When we did, uh, when we walked through the Sermon on the Mount, there was a word we wrote every week. Do you remember what it was? Kingdom. kingdom. Because when you think about Jesus, you think about kingdom. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's so important. Like, it's super annoying. But then when you're watching the History Channel come Easter time, they're like, oh, here's the real story of Jesus. Because every year the History Channel has to teach us the real story of Jesus because we forgot, right? And there's something new. Some, some great thing was uncovered. And we're all big idiots who worship Jesus. Right? When they say Jesus, don't think about Kathy. Don't think about JR. Don't think about Dave. Think about kingdom. Because that's what Jesus came to teach about. Jesus came to teach about his kingdom. And so that when we're thinking about how everything is for God's glory, and then we look to King Jesus who has saved us, and we boast in King Jesus, then now we have to be thinking about kingdom, because Jesus was about the kingdom. And so what is the kingdom? The kingdom is a world in which everything God desires to happen is what happens for his glory and our joy, right? And so now we get really practical. You say, how do I do that? You got all these things to say, and I feel really awful now because I'm super weak and I'm super sinful. What do I do? 
That should be the question. Please ask that question. Just, just look at me and say, what do we do about this? That's what we need to know because it's a huge struggle. And you say, it sounds so fanciful to memorize 1 Corinthians 12, 9, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It's okay. When I'm weak, he is strong. But what does that mean? Because if you're like me, just knowing that you're weak and just knowing that he's strong doesn't help Monday at 3.30 p.m. when you really want to drink. It doesn't help Wednesday night when you find out some more bad news and you want to make things all about you again. It's a struggle. Just that simple piece of knowledge can't transform you. This is why God's given us his spirit. This is why we have prayer, scripture, and church, and we hit it every day, every time we're here. How can I seek the glory and his strength in my life? How can I seek his glory and strength in my life? Because if you're like me, you forget and you struggle. I want to teach you an activity. I did this. Uh, here's where this comes from. Uh, there's a lot of people who teach various forms of discipleship and all that. I'm really fascinated. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but uh, there was a moment in my life where I realized it's not that I don't want to pray. It's not that I don't want to read scripture. It's not that I don't love the Lord. It's that I, I forget. I'm busy. I was buying a sandwich at Cat Snack, and someone said something in passing. I was listening, and they're like, oh, I was going to pray. They said something about praying. And I was like walking. I was like, oh, I haven't prayed today. And it was like 2.30, right? And I, I just had this passing thought while I was in college. Whoa, I'm a Bible student who hasn't prayed today. And there's this like, tension that swells up in you. Like, why haven't I prayed today? And then I went through this existential crisis. Oh, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm super bad. No, no, no. I just, I just forgot. I was busy. It wasn't the biggest priority in my life. And so that kind of spun in my life. And, and I take seriously, there's a quote by a lady, I can't think about it, but she says, uh, how you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your lives. And those of you who are old, you're like, oh, yeah, woof. Turns out one day turns into a thousand. And now I'm measuring my life based off the Netflix shows that I've watched. It's like, shoot, this is how I spend my days. One day, my sons asked me why I don't play video games more. And uh, I wanted to be gracious to them because I like video games. Please judge me. Uh, I used to be a big gamer. Played a lot of video games. Um, particularly Zelda uh, and some other ones that I won't mention because you'll judge me harder. But uh, anyway, so what I ended up doing for my sons that morning was I drew them a, a time map. And now before you, you know you have papers around you. It's called a time and energy map. We're going to do this together. Grab a pen or use your brain. Look at this piece of paper. We're going to do this together because this is important. You're asking every week. We say things like, hey, think about how every part of your life points to a king and a kingdom. But then it's like, well, I forget. By Thursday, you've forgotten about a king and kingdom. I've forgotten about a king and kingdom. How do we even think through that? It's impractical. It's so big, so none of us can chew on that. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? So what is the first bite? We're going to do a time map. We're going to do it together. Because what I unpacked for my boys that morning, actually, my Elsie my was there too. I have a girl, okay, turns out. So uh, my children is the appropriate phrase. I unpacked for them how I don't play video games because I don't have time. Because the time that I've spent playing video games is time that I don't get to spend with my kids and time that I don't get to spend with Nikki. So the only video games that exist in my life are like Zelda games that we can play together or Mario Party. But that causes us all to argue, so we don't play any games anymore. But anyway, so those of you who have kids, you're like, yeah, okay, that's what happens. Video games is fighting. That's what happens. So, uh, I want us to walk through this together. And I'm going to give you an example here. Um, I think there's a, a slide. Yeah, so it's pretty simple. Think about kingdom at the top, right? Maybe write down kingdom. Also, write down Mark 1.15. That's your verse. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it's here now. You're living in it. It's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. So you've got your time map. Also, write the number 24. Why 24? 
You guys are so smart. There's 24 hours in a day, right? Now you got to do math. This will throw me off. But so uh, you put your name in the middle because it's you. I obviously understand we've done other diagrams where I say, no, the Lord is supposed to be in the middle. That's fine. Uh, you can write, you know, John in Christ if you need to, because it's not about you. This is just how you typically spend your time, right? So maybe branch off and say, uh, start with sleep. 24 hours in a day, you probably sleep eight hours, right? You all sleep eight hours because you're super healthy people. No, you sleep four to six hours. Be honest, right? Some of you less than that. So I'm going to say on average, I sleep six hours. That's me. There's my bubble, right? And then I work. A lot of us do a lot of work. Some of you will write school because you go to school eight hours a day, right? Or maybe it's nine hours, maybe 10 hours, whatever. So how many hours do you work, right? For me, uh, with my megaphone job, mine's a little complicated, but I work probably two to three hours a day on that, right? And then for me, I would write, uh, let's write pastor, pastor, right? And that probably is, oh, that gets tricky, but we'll say, we'll put eight. That sounds like a number that makes sense per day. Um, but then it's like, what's, what's not pastoring when you're having relationships with people all day, every day, whatever. Anyway, it's like parenting. When are you not parenting? Okay, whatever. So then I would also, uh, I mean, we could do this right now, right? So uh, six plus three, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, 17. So I'm at 17 hours already. How many hours left in the day? Seven. Seven. Seven hours. What's going to go to those seven hours? Well, uh, for me, I would say, you know, uh, I easily, I work out a lot of days. Um, lately, not as much because it's both season and because I'm lazy nowadays, but whatever. Let's say you work out, right? So work out, that's 1.5 hours. Now your number goes down. And then now, here gets tricky. Kids. I've got kids. And I would say on average, I'm spending two to three hours a day with my kids intentionally. Come on, judge me, please. Only two to three hours? Aren't you a better pastor, parent than that? Come on, that's fine. Whatever. What's your number? Right? So you, kids, and then what? Um, be critical, man. What do you do? I watch Gilmore Girls with my wife. Come on. Come on. Come at me. Right, so I watch, uh, I watch Gilmore Girls because it never ends. It's literally like all day, every day. So maybe that's, that's one, I mean, each episode's 45 minutes, right? So maybe you watch one, you watch two. That's an hour and a half, by the way, which is like, whoa, golly, time flies. Let's say 1.5, right? Now, you're looking at this and you're saying, hold on, this is my average day. And some of you are going to get tempted and say, my day's too random and complex. I'm such a delicate flower. Things are too busy and different. No, it's not. You spend most days doing something. Be honest with yourself. Why do you spend two hours a day on YouTube? Where do we get statistics like your average human is spending three hours a day on social media? Be honest with yourself. This isn't a guilt thing. Or guilt, 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 guilt. You're not doing enough Christian things. The point is to be honest with yourself. Say, where is my time going? Because if you're wondering why your kids are struggling, maybe it's because you only have an hour and a half a day for them. If you're wondering why your job's terrible, maybe it's because everything else in your life is focused around your job. And it's supposed to be about a king and a kingdom. This is why we do these activities. Not to point how awful you are, to come back and say, we can only boast in Christ. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. And as you do this, you'll start asking yourself, hold on. If all of a sudden I'm adding this up, 17, uh, 18 and a half, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, I'm almost at 24 hours. And when have I prayed? When have I looked at scripture? When have I uh, been with church? When has this happened in my life, right? Oh, well, I go to church on Sundays. Is that what the kingdom is? Is it an hour once a week? I don't want to be this hard on you, but I want you to get this. Because I have to be honest with myself and say, if God has truly called me to be a husband in Christ and a father in Christ, and I'm only getting an hour a day with my wife, that's it. That's all she gets. Because why? Because I'm pastoring for eight hours a day? Now, here's the next step. 
This isn't now, okay, we're back to guilt, right? Oh, this hasn't helped me what to do, David. Now I'm just messed up. No. Ask yourself, I'm at work two to three hours a day. Here's the question you're asking. What does my work say about my king and his kingdom? Well, I don't have a Christian job. Everyone at my work is it's awful. They're terrible people. Okay. okay, there are three people you see at work every day. Let's say you see Bob, Linda, and Chloe. Who can spell Chloe? Right? You see them every day. Why have you not prayed for Bob this week? How would you even know if he cares about a king and a kingdom? Have you prayed for him? That's your activity. What do I do? How do I care about a king and a kingdom? You're making it this big. You want to eat an elephant one bite at a time? Pray for Bob this week. Who's Bob? I don't have a Bob in my job. Okay, be real. You have someone at your job. Bob is a theory, theoretical person. Think about your work. You spend eight hours a day maybe at work. You have people there. How are they seeing a king in your life? You have kids. You've already said, okay, maybe I spend two, three hours with kids. In what ways is that two to three hours forming them in the image of God? Discipleship. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Baptize them. I'm with you always. I have all authority. How is my family seeing that I'm a disciple of Christ? That's your activity. Pray about it. Say, God, I'm missing it here. Maybe you're not watching Gilmore Girls, but you're watching one of the really unholy shows. You say, ah, maybe... Maybe I need to give up an hour of this a day so that I have more time to disciple my family. Maybe I need to give up working out an hour and a half and work out for half an hour because you know what? Time with my kids and time with my wife is more important. Maybe as I pastor, I notice a typical problem with pastoring is that it makes me feel insecure because I think that I need to be more, do more. Why haven't you called this person? Why haven't you been better? Why aren't you a better pastor, David? Why why aren't more people here? What are you doing wrong? And then I realize that's all about me. And it guises itself in insecure. It's still pride. It's all about King David and David being awesome. And so then I say, okay, this is where I'm struggling right now. Maybe my job's awful. Say, okay, how do I submit those things to a king in the kingdom? I printed those out for you so that you can take this activity, teach it to other people, and ask yourself, what does my life communicate about a king and a kingdom? You can do this with other things. The three most valuable things to all of us are time, money, and energy, and they're all inextricable. They're all coming together to say, oh, I own these things. I possess these things. We don't own anything. We're all a phone call away from losing all our time, money, and energy. A car wreck today makes you lose all of it. It's gone, and we pretend like we possess it. We make these maps and it makes us feel like we're there, but we're not. We're missing it. I hope when you do this activity, it makes you feel weak. And I hope when you do that, you come back and say, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. The fact that I forget to pray for Bob, the fact that I'm not deciding my kids the way that I should, all these things make me feel weak. I will boast more about that because the power of Christ may rest upon me. For his sake, then I'm content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. When I am weak, then he is strong. Turn these things to Christ and say, Christ, how do I live for your kingdom? What does it look like to submit to you? God has given us so many assurances. Every week we mention prayer, scripture, and church. We talk about how we're a church that worship connects, grows, and goes. God has given you an intimate relationship with him through prayer. You can reach out to him anytime. You can worship him. You can worship him passionately through prayer. He's given you his word, his scriptures that you can read and grow to know him deeply. He's given you the church, a room full of people to say, hey, we want to grow with you. We need to connect authentically. We need to pray and grow together by reading his word. And then he's told you to go and make disciples. He's given you everything you need. The people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites of their hand, lest Israel boast over me and say, my own hand has saved me. Your own hand can't save you. 
And I hope that as you take time to map out your life and you think through a king and a kingdom, you think through Mark 1.15, repent and believe in the gospel, that you take yourself into a moment to say, I am weak, but Christ is strong. And Christ has called me to serve his kingdom. Christ has given me his spirit, his power to, to understand his scripture, to be one body with the church. And so maybe today you need to make a decision and just say, I'm actually going to do this. I'm not just going to watch David do it. I'm not just going to hold this piece of paper and throw it away later because I don't care. I, I'm actually going to do this. I'm going to take this up. 24 hours a day. What do my 24 hours communicate about my king and his kingdom? Or do they not? And do I need to say, King Jesus, I really need to submit these things to you. And I'm going I'm to actually acknowledge these things. I'm going to quit hiding from them. I'm going to quit forgetting God and serving myself, serving other things. Maybe that's your activity. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you honestly have never said, Christ, you, I want to put my faith in you. I want to give you my life because I'm still circling myself and trying to make it all about me. And you've made it clear that it's all about your kingdom and your glory. And you've died for me. You've forgiven me. You've given me everything. I need to say yes and accept your righteousness. Maybe that's you. I would encourage you to boldly come and talk about it this morning. Let's, let's pray about it. Let's declare who King Jesus is and worship him that he saved your life. Maybe you need to join the church. Say, I need to be a part of a committed believers. I don't know what your decision is, but this is your time for response. We're going to move into a time response right now. We're going to sing a song, and this is your time to respond. We say a lot, just open your hands. What do you need to open your hands to this week? What do you need to give to the Lord and say, man, I'm going to obey you and trust you? This is our time to respond, to look to Jesus and say, it's all about your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Fathers, we have your word bear its weight on us, and we see the hope of your gospel, the hopelessness of, of our sinful nature, our struggles, our rebellion. God, I pray that your spirit would, would bring truth to us, that we would hold fast to your word, your kingdom, and see the hope as one body, that we're all coming together in you. Despite all the words that have been said, any distractions, any confusions, I pray your spirit would speak. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they would give their life to you. If, if we need to, to join together and, and join the church and, and be one body together and declare you, I pray that you would guide us to do that. God, may you hear our worship and us seeking you as king. May that ripple into all parts of our lives. Your word tells us, as King David prayed, search me and know me, God. Reveal any way that's off in me. God, I pray that you would do that for us as a church, for us as individuals, that we would be known by you and let you reveal to us what's off. May we repent and believe in your gospel. Thank you for your love for us. Guide us as we respond to you in your spirit. If you need to pray, we'll be up here.